Hello, Calvary family. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful that you're checking out this teaching. We're studying through the Gospel of John. Hope this encourages you. And just to set the stage, it's been three weeks now since we've been in John. Uh, We had our vision weekend, if you remember. We had our discipleship weekend the week after that, which was last week. So three weeks ago, Pastor Brian taught the first half of chapter 16. And what that was about, it was all about the Holy Spirit. So if you missed that sermon, I would highly encourage you to pull that one back up on the archive. Watch it because he explained about who the Holy Spirit is, how he's the one that empowers us. And then we also had appeared in that weekend teaching of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if you missed that one, check it out. But today, Jesus is going to totally switch topics. It's the second half of chapter 16. So we're going to pick up, once again, if you have your Bible, it's 1616, or if you have your phone or your tablet, or you can also pull up our notes on, our sermon notes online. So let's look at 1616 together. Here's what it says. Jesus went on to say, and this is right after he explained the Holy Spirit, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. So he's explaining to the disciples, I'm about to leave. All day long, you're going to see a lot of hints. Jesus is going to drop a ton of hints, but the disciples, for the most part, I think, miss most of them, and I'll explain that as we go. But even we might wonder, what does a little while mean? Because I kind of wondered myself as I read that as I was studying. And I would make the case it depends on what state you're from. If you're from the south, a little while might be five minutes, it might be five days, it might be five hours. It's sort of variable. But if you're from up north, maybe it's a more defined term. But I did look this one up. When Jesus said this, it was only about one to two hours before he would be arrested in the garden, the story we know. So he's literally dropping a lot of hints, saying, I'm leaving, and it's literally only hours away. So keep that in mind. He was hinting about his imminent death. But he's also going to try to encourage them about his resurrection. That's the part, for the most part, they miss. And he told them, you'll see me again. He didn't mean theoretically or sort of in a spiritual way. He meant you will see me physically again. So let's look at a verse out of Luke. It'll make it simpler if we just look at it. Here it is. Luke 24. And it's the story about the road to Emmaus. We know that story. It's like... Then the two from Emmaus, who Jesus had just appeared to, they told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Because if you remember the story, at first they didn't know it was Jesus. But look at 36. This is what's the cool part. And just as they were telling the rest of the group about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing right there among them all. And I added the all, by the way, because it's all the disciples, all the apostles. Then look what Jesus says. Peace be with you. Don't freak out. Don't worry. Peace be with you. Because they were still upset that he had died at this moment. But let's get back to our text. Verse 17, our next verse. Here's what it says. At this, in other words, after that statement, in a little while you won't see me any longer, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean? What does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? 
because I'm going to the Father. So all those things seem to be confusing to the disciples. Jesus is trying to encourage them, but their reaction is almost confusion. We can see that by these questions they're having. And here's what really happened, and we're going to see this about three times in our text today. They kind of focused on the wrong thing. All they heard was, I'm leaving. They totally missed, I'm coming back. Now, we know the story, so we have the benefit of looking 2020 backwards, but they didn't have that. So all they heard was, I'm leaving, and they're all upset about it, which brings up our first point if you're taking notes today. Life is filled with good and bad stuff, good and bad news, good and bad things. In some ways, this statement Jesus made was both good and bad. I'm leaving, but I'll be back. But God's word, our book, our manual to live life says, focus on the positive. Focus on the positive, give God the negative. That's the theme almost Jesus is trying to tell them. But once again, they focused on the wrong thing. So let's keep reading, verse 18. And we see that right here. They kept asking. Now, they're not asking Jesus, they're asking each other, and we'll see that in a second. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? They weren't from the south. We don't understand what he's saying. And if you look at the Greek word used there, I'm not going to bore you with it, but it means a continued discussion. This keep asking, it means they kept on discussing it amongst themselves. Once again, it's clear to us, but it was very unclear to them. So let's read our next verse. Jesus is going to notice how they're feeling. Verse 19 says, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, these statements. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Well, you have to almost picture this, and I can almost, in my mind, imagine it. The disciples are probably off to one side. They're huddled up as a group. They're having this continued discussion. Jesus, their leader, their teacher, is probably off to the side a little. So they're asking each other, they're kind of confused, but I'm sure Jesus is watching their body language, he's watching their facial expressions, but don't forget, Jesus is God, he probably knows what they're thinking, so he really had three ways to discern this. But they're confused, but here, here's my other kind of observation here. You know, a lot of you still work, you have jobs, if, if you're retired, you at once probably worked. But most likely, you didn't go interrogate your boss. And if you did, you probably didn't have a job very long. In a way, that's what's going on here. They want to ask, but they're a little nervous. They're a little scared to approach their master, their teacher. So they're kind of just talking amongst each other. So look what Jesus does. He's going to put a verse we know into action. He's going to make the first move. He's going to try to help them, to comfort them, because Here's three things he's already, I think, noticed. They're confused, they're anxious, and they're really kind of, I would put it, upset. They're already upset about what he has already been talking about. So Jesus is going to put a verse we know very well from Matthew into action. Let's look at it. You know this verse. Jesus says what? Come to me. If you've got problems, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and then I will give you rest. And by the way, the context there, it's not physical burden. It's not a giant yoke or a cinder block or things like that. He's talking about emotional burdens like worry, anxiety, stress, things like that. Come to me and I'll give you rest. 
So here's my question. I'm going to ask us a few questions today. And by the way, when I ask these questions, I'm not just talking to those watching online, those in the room here. I'm talking to myself. We know that verse, come to me. But my question is, do we do it? Do we put it into action? Do we personally practice? Or are we sometimes hesitant to give Jesus everything? Because I think what we tend to do, and we don't mean to, but sometimes we'll give Jesus and God the big stuff, the big giant problems. But if it's a smaller one, we tend to try to fix it ourselves. we like, you know what? I can't bother God. That's just too trivial. I'm just having this disagreement with my family member, my brother, my sister, my best friend. I'll try to solve that one. Scripture says give it all to God, all. And we'll see that, I think, over and over today. So once again, if you're taking notes, here's the second thing you might want to write down. When we're emotionally exhausted, like that verse said, or drained or stressed out, anxious, you can plug in your own adjective in that sentence, our best place, notice the word best, our best place to find rest is Jesus. Because we can all try other ways. We've all probably done this one too. You can ask a friend, you can get in some kind of self-help group, you can read one of those self-help books you can buy off Amazon. But that's not likely to work. At best, it'll be a temporary help. The only true rest any of us can have is in Jesus. He says, bring your burden to me. Let me fix even the small stuff. So we all need to work on a little better about giving things up. And I think we'll, we'll hear that again today, put it that way. Let's get back to our text, verse 20. <clears throat> Let's look at Jesus' answer. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He's talking about his death. Remember, the world was excited. They thought they got rid of Jesus. The disciples would weep and mourn. But look what he follows up with. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And once again, we know the backstory. We know our Bibles. You've heard this taught on many times, especially around Easter. But let's just think about some of the reasons they're going to be soon sad and fearful and grieving. Jesus, in a few days, literally a few hours, he'll be arrested, but a, another day or two, he'll be killed, so he's going to die, and not just die, die really, I would make it out to be a horrible death. He'll be tortured, he'll be crucified, he'll be ridiculed, spat on, beaten, crown of thorns, all that stuff, so it was a ridiculed death, and then also, in their minds, I think anyway, this part's probably my opinion, they saw that Jesus was defeated, so they think they're defeated. In their mind, it's over. Everything's gone. Our ministry is over. Even our whole reason for being here seems to be gone. What are we going to do? And they probably were thinking, I would believe, life has no more meaning, no more purpose. We're just going to wander around and just kind of get through this the best we can. But God. Don't you like those two words? But God. God, and here comes our title. I hadn't told you our title yet for a reason. This is our title of today's message. God is going to flip their script. In other words, do a 180 on everything they're imagining and thinking. And he's already been giving them hints. If I reread that verse, he says, your grief will turn to joy. That's flipping the script. That's the 180 that he's going to keep talking about. But once again, they're not really paying close attention and they're focusing on the wrong thing, like we do sometimes as people, because we're just messy people. They're going to do that more than once today, by the way. And I would make the case, once again, this part's my opinion. I think what they're going to have very, very shortly is what I called um, 
this weekend a sad Saturday. Now, I know this is Sunday, but they had a sad Saturday. And what I mean by that, think what happened on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was the day that they really saw the after effects of the crucifixion. And if you look at Jewish history, what they were supposed to do on their Sabbath, we all know it was a day of rest, but it wasn't just a day of rest, it was a day of reflection. You were supposed to think about your life, what had happened, all the events maybe. So what do you think they thought about that sad Saturday? They were, I'm sure, fearful, afraid, discouraged, anxious, lonely, etc., etc. And in their minds, I already said it once, I would probably believe they thought life had no more purpose or meaning for them. But God, but God. Let's look at a couple of verses because here's what's interesting too. There's no real record of this sad Saturday as I'm calling it. There's a lot of scriptures about Friday and there's a lot of scriptures about Sunday, Easter Sunday. We know about those two. Sad Saturday's not written because probably they didn't want to even write or talk about it much. They were just dejected and devastated. But I think we can look at other verses. We're going to look at a verse out of John chapter 20 that we'll get to eventually in here. Let's see what they were feeling. Here's what it says. That Sunday evening, this would be Easter, the disciples were meeting behind, look where they're meeting, locked doors. And look what it says right behind that, because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So clearly we can see how they're feeling. They're fearful. Let's jump ahead a whole chapter to 21 and look at one more. We know this story too. Simon Peter, Peter as we call him, look what he says. He, he, he clearly thinks his ministry is done. Look what he says he's going to do. I'm just going to go fishing. In other words, I'm going back not to, not to celebrate or have fun on a fishing trip. He's like, my ministry is done. I'm going back to my old life. That's what he's really thinking. And look what the rest of them say. We'll come too. They're not even all fishermen. Some of them, if you remember, were tax collectors, other things. They're all so hopeless. They're just like, Peter's going fishing. Let's go with him. So they go out in the boat. They catch nothing. But if you know that story, I'm not going to keep reading it. Remember, Jesus appears to them and says, hey, guys, did you catch any fish? And the answer is no. And he tells them, come on into shore then. So we can clearly, I think, from those two verses, see how they're feeling. They're sad, they're dejected. So my question for us, here's my second question for me and for all of you, all of you online. Are you having your own version of this sad Saturday? I know it's Sunday, but are you feeling anxious, afraid, dejected? Whatever adjective you want to put in that sentence. Maybe it's a medical problem. You just got a, a medical diagnosis that you can't see any way out of. Or maybe it's an emotional problem. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe you're in debt and you don't have a way out of it. It could be a relationship issue. It could be a hundred different things I don't have time to itemize up here. But are you having your own sad Saturday? If, it, if that's you and you're here with us or you're watching either one or maybe you're watching this months or years later, I would just tell you to think about that flip the script. God wants to flip your script this weekend and get you out of that sad Saturday. He wants to fix it, but we have to do our part to the, do the fix. Because we just read that come to me verse, but do we come to him with all those things? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But he wants to flip our script. We just have to 
get involved in the process. Let's look at a verse out of Isaiah. I think this will tell us what exactly God wants to do. It'll give us three really examples. God wants to, that's the three dots, comfort all who mourn. So no matter what you're mourning today, God wants to give you comfort. He wants to provide for those who are grieving, maybe grieving the loss of a loved one, for example. He also wants to, look what he wants to do, bestow on us, them would be us, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And ashes signify mourning or grief. Look what's next. He wants to give us, all of us, his oil of joy. He wants us to be joyful. So replace grieving with joy instead of mourning. And then lastly, he wants to give us a garment of praise to replace our spirit of despair. So those are the things God wants to do. He's ready to do. He's willing to do. He's able to do. But we have to do our part. And our part is really two parts because it's a partnership. Think about us and God as partners. God could miraculously do all of that and just do it, but he wants us to be part of the process. He wants us to have faith, to believe he can do it, but he also wants us to have some action. He likes us to get involved with action. That sometimes is easier to illustrate than explain. Sometimes I'm a prop guy. I like props every now and then. So we can all see this as a balloon, right? You believe me. And if I hold it by the string and then move it, you'll also probably believe pretty quickly it's a helium balloon because it's floating. Imagine this balloon is your problems. So these are all your problems. Well, why isn't it getting out of my hand? Why is it not flying away? It's helium. Why is it not leaving? I need to still do something. What do I need to do? There goes your problems. I know you're all going to watch it, so just go ahead. Everybody watching the ceiling. It's happened every service. It's okay. Hopefully, it'll get out of your vision. You can't keep watching it. That's what I'm hoping for. Because that problem, your problems are now in the third heaven. God's got your problems if we will let it go. It's a it's a package. He wants us to be involved, which brings up our third thing to write down if you're taking notes. And this one's big. We can't hold that oil of joy I just read us about in Isaiah. If your hands are gripping tight to your own problems, if I'm holding on to mine so tightly, God can't put his oil of joy in there. My hand's full. And that balloon is kind of a silly illustration, but it it's visually shows us we can't have our hand filled by the Lord until we let go of our own control. We just say, God, you got to fix this. No matter how big, no matter how little, just give it to the Lord. You might hear that again before the day's out. We'll see. And I would say a different way, too. Here's another way to put that same statement. Let go and let God. Let go. Amen. We can clap on that one. Let go and let God. That's what God wants. He's capable. He's willing. He's sitting there waiting on me like this sometimes. Dave, I'm not going to get involved until you let go. He's just waiting and anxious and ready, but he's waiting on me to symbolically let it go. So if that's you today, we'll give you a chance to do that at the end of the service. Let's get back to our text, verse 21. Jesus doesn't have mylar balloons like I just used. He's going to give us a little different illustration. 
Verse 21 says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, time to deliver. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born to the world. He's using the illustration they would have all known because they all had natural childbirth in their houses. They would have heard the you know, birth pains of mothers. And, and by the way, that verse might strike a nerve with some of the moms in here that are trying to have children. We would love to pray with you if that's your, your desire to have children. Let one of us, our elders, our prayer partners, one of our pastors, pray with you, join you, intercede with you to have children. So don't let that verse discourage you. But we'll, we'll read in our next verse, verse 22, why Jesus said that. He's going to use that as almost a contrast between grief and joy. Let's read 22. He says, so it is with you. Now your time of grief, or your pain in other words, but I will see you again, you'll rejoice. You'll have great joy. And look what he says at the tail end of that verse. We can miss this one if we don't look at it close. It says, no one will take away your joy. And what he means is, if it comes from the Lord, nobody can take that. Once again, Jesus is dropping hints, I think, because remember who he's talking to. Think about the context. He's talking to the apostles, the disciples. We know from Bible history, they were all eventually martyred, killed, sometimes in horrific ways. But if you read those stories of when they were martyred, they're all going to the death saying, I love Jesus. You can't kill my, you can kill my body, but you can't kill me. I'm eternal. They had great joy until their death, and I think Jesus is trying to start the process right here, right now. Nobody can take your joy. Do you know that applies for us? Nobody can take your joy. Anybody in this room, anybody watching online, if our joy is in the Lord, it's eternal, no matter what problems the world may throw at us. Let's keep reading, verse 23. In that day, in other words, after I depart and come back, no longer will you ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Here's some more hints, and they're, and they're not really going to get this one either. He's hinting at a new big change that's literally only a day or so away. They see Jesus at this moment as their leader, their Messiah. They don't yet see him as the mediator between God the Father, who's holy, and sinful man. They don't see him as the bridge or their way to salvation. What he's trying to hint at, and we know the story, remember when the veil was torn? He says, in a matter of days, you're going to have full access to God, full access. You won't need to have me pray for you. You can pray yourself straight to the Lord. He's dropping hints, but once again, they're kind of not focused on that. But let's talk a second about prayers and going straight to the Lord. Let's look at a verse out of 1 John. I'm going to use a couple of verses today. We're in John. We're going to use 1 John a little bit too. Look what 1 John says. And you know this verse. We all do. We are confident that he, that's God, hears us whenever we ask for anything. But look what's underlined. Anything that pleases him. Not a new car, not a new iPad, not a new television, not for my sports team to win today. It's things that please him. In his will, other verses tell us. But look what 15 says. Since we know that he hears us, we make our requests, we also know he will give us what we ask for. If it lines up with the underlying part, if it pleases him or if it's in his will. We'll see that again in a minute, too. 
It's not my shopping list, my itemized things of things I want to happen in my life. Remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, but yours be done, when he was talking to God the Father. Jesus himself said, not my will, Lord, but yours. Let's read 24. He's going to keep, Jesus is going to keep playing on this same idea. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. They didn't pray like we do. We, we prayed when Pastor Dave prayed to start. In Jesus' name we pray. This was a new thing to them. That's what he's kind of mentioning. You've not asked for anything in my name. And then he's telling them, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. But remember, that promise is conditional on it being in God's will. Let's look at another verse we know, kind of a famous verse from James. It's James 4, 3. It tells us why we don't get what we ask for sometime. When, when you and I ask and we don't receive, here's the reason why. Because we're asking with wrong motives. It might be a material thing or a, a thing God doesn't desire me to have. And then he answers with, what's the wrong motives? He gives us an example. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. Not necessarily a bad pleasure, but it's just not something God has planned for us. It's not in his will. Because if it is in his will, it'll be given. Like let go and let God. That would clearly be in God's will, so he will give us that one. And we'll pray for that in a few minutes. Back to the text, verse 25. Jesus is now going to start speaking more clearly. He's been using illustrations, hyperbole, things like that. Now he's going to speak plain Greek or plain Aramaic or plain English to us. Here's what 25 says. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. Then in 26 he says, in that day you will ask in my name. You'll start praying in Jesus' name. But look what he says at the second half of that 26. This part can even confuse us. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. That almost sounds like Jesus is not going to ask for us anymore, which I think is what it means, by the way. But it's kind of confusing. You know, earlier the disciples were confused. Maybe now it's our turn. Because we know in other verses, Jesus is described as our advocate, or he's interceding for us. They wondered what he went. Let's just see what he meant. Because I think it's easier if we look at another verse about what this advocate means. And what Jesus is trying to tell them, by the way, you're going to have full access. You can go to God directly. You don't need a priest. You don't need a church, an inner room, an inner sanctuary, like that Holy of Holies room. The veil is torn. You've got full access. But let's look at a verse, another verse from 1 John about our advocate. What is this advocate role that we know about? Look what it says. My dear children, that's all of us, me, all of you watching, I am writing this to you, John, so that you will not sin. But you know what? We're going to. We're just people. We're going to sin. So then he follows up with, but if you do, if anyone does sin, we have what? An advocate. So he's advocating when we mess up. He doesn't go to the Lord with every single prayer request of ours. He doesn't need to. That's our job. We pray for our own needs. He's our advocate who pleads the case when we mess up. And he's pleading, it says, before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who's so a righteous lawyer in a way, because it's almost like a court case. A righteous lawyer is pleading your case, my case. 
So when I mess up, when you mess up, here's what that would look like. Yes, Dave messed up. Yes, Dave sinned today, this week, whatever. But Jesus is standing in heaven saying, I paid for that. I didn't just pay for that one. I paid it all. I paid for the past, the future, and even the dumb things Dave's going to do in the future. I paid for it. And he's not just advocating when we sin, by the way. He's also our advocate when Satan enters the picture. Because Satan comes in. Remember the Job story? Let me sift that one. He doesn't love you, God. He's just in it for what you're giving him. He's, he's following you, but he's, his heart's not right. You know what Jesus is saying? Nope. Get out of here, Satan. This one's mine. This one belongs to me. That's what Jesus is doing for all of you and for me right now in heaven. They belong to me. Get out of here. That's what he's advocating. So Jesus is not going to, from this moment, he's telling the disciples, you can pray your own needs. I'll take care of those two things we just read about. You, if you have a prayer need, just ask the Lord. We'll have a prayer team out front at the end of the service today that will pray with you, but we can just go to the Lord 24-7. We have 24-7 access. Do you realize how important that is? Because sometimes we think, I wish I was a disciple. I could have walked around with Jesus, learned at his feet. They did not have until Jesus' death 24-7 access. But you do. I do. We have a benefit they never enjoyed until he died. So that's the advocate role. Let's get back to our text, verse 27. Jesus is going to tell them how much God loves them. He says, no, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. 28 says, I came from the Father, I entered the world, but now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Once again, he's speaking clearly, trying to tell them, guys, this is literally hours away. The process will start, and in just a day or so, I will be killed. He's making the first move to tell them God loves you. Because in Scripture, we see God loved us first before we ever loved him. Let's look at a verse once again. Let's go back to 1 John. 1 John 4 this time. It's going to describe what love is. This is love. Not that we love God, because we think sometimes we loved him before he loved us. But he loved us first. And he sent his son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice to pay for our sins. He loved us more than we could ever imagine or know. But it's also important to note when this is being said, by the way. Jesus just told the disciples, and he's really telling us through the same verses, that God loved you before I die. God loved you before the cross. Sometime when we're new believers, we think because of Jesus' work on the cross, God loves us. No. He loved us before you were born, before the cross. He pursued us. He loved us first. So they're getting there, but they're not there yet. Let's read a couple more verses, 29 and 30. Now they're going to at least say, you're speaking pretty clear. He said, in 29 it says, Then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. No more illustrations. No more balloons. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even have to have anyone ask you questions. But look at this part. This makes us believe that you came from God. 
So they're getting there, but they're not quite there yet. And here's why I say that. They just said, we believe you came from God. But notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, we believe you are God. Came from God, are God. Big difference. But we got to give them some grace. You know, we probably would have done the same thing if we were there. They're getting there. But they're clearly, I think at this moment, still works in progress. Our next verse is 31. I'm going to read that one and stop and then kind of explain for a second. And then we'll read it over again. And here's why. In most of your translations, I don't care which one you have, verse 31 most likely says something like, do you now believe? It's phrased as a question. But, you know, we, we translate the Bible. Um, it went to Greek first, now it's in English, and it's been through multiple hands. I went back and really looked at the original translation and the wording, and, and I think sometimes, you know, we put in all the, by the way, chapters, paragraphs, the breakdown to make it easier to read. We didn't do all, always an ideal job on that one. And it's no doctrinal problem, but like sometimes I think we put commas where they don't belong and grammar and stuff like that. So let me reread 31 as, as what I believe it should be read as more of a statement, not a question, a statement. So you can follow your text with me, but it might be better if you just listen to what I'm going to say, because if you read your Bible and I'm saying the opposite, it's going to look kind of weird. It really, in, in my mind, should read more, you believe now, comma, you believe now, comma, and then the but shifts over to verse 32 that we put in there. We, you know, like I said, we put the verse and chapters and all that together. So let me reread 31 and 32 the way I kind of studied it and then see if it makes more sense to you. Not a question, a statement. Here's the way it would read that way. And by the way, this is my opinion, so don't get too hung up and send me 15 emails about it. You can read your Bible how you want it. And it doesn't change the meaning, by the way, but it, to me, makes a lot more sense if you read it this way. So just imagine Jesus saying this, verse 31. You believe now, comma, but a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home, and you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And it ties with what he just talked about. You believe that I was sent from heaven. You believe now, but there's a really bad thing coming, is what he's trying to warn them, and you're going to scatter and deny me. And there in their mind, remember what Peter said, I'll never do that, Lord. What did Peter do? Three times. So let me ask you another question. I told you I was going to ask a few questions. Do you think this exact verse we read, that you're going to be scattered, you're going to leave me all alone, and only God will be here, do you think that ran through their minds on that day I labeled Sad Saturday, the day of reflection, the day you're supposed to reflect on everything? Do you think they thought about, because by then it would have happened, they would have deserted him, they would have denied him, deserted him, and abandoned him. Another reason I think they probably had a pretty sad Saturday. Because I'm pretty sure that would have ran through their minds. I cannot believe we did that. I said I would never do it. Peter's beating himself up. All the rest of them are too. But if they had regrets over their behavior and remembered that verse, I would wonder if they heard his next statement, which is our closing verse today, our verse 33. My personal belief is probably not, because I already told you two different times they focused on the wrong thing. They focused on the negative. They didn't hear the good stuff. And I would bet it happened again on this verse. Let's read 33. 
And it's another famous verse that you all know. Here's what it says. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me, that's key, you may, you may have peace. I'll come back to that in a second. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So we know that verse. We think we know what it means. I would kind of say think about it a little differently because my question is, why is the word may in there? It, it's sort of, in my, Dave's opinion again, let's be clear, it, it's conditional. You may have peace, but not until you let go. He wants us to get involved and do something. Because clearly he can give it to us. Clearly God's peace is promised, and the in me part is a guarantee. So why is the word may? Because if I don't let go and let God, I won't have his peace. He's going to sit there like I did earlier and say, okay, I'm waiting, Dave. Let it go, and I'll get involved. You can have my peace. It's freely available, just like Nike said, just do it. Let it go. It's a partnership. Well, why don't we have this peace sometime? And this is even for, for us believers. It's hard to let stuff go. That's probably one of the hardest things for Christians to do is to let go of stuff. Maybe it's a past hurt, maybe it's our anxiety, our fear, our worry, our whatever. God only gives us his peace when we, you know, peace comes after surrender. Think about the whole Ukraine and Russia situation. Peace will only come after somebody surrenders. We have to surrender. Like that old song we sing, I surrender all. You know that one. It doesn't say I surrender most of it. It says I surrender all. Which brings up our last point if we're taking notes. If we want to have God's peace, we've got to surrender all. He can't put his oil of joy in my hand until I open my hand and let things go like my problems. We've got to let go of our will. In other words, let him be the control and the master of my life. Not most of my life, all of my life. We also have to let go of our troubles. And then and only then will we find rest in him. That's why I believe that word, you may have peace, is in there. So that's our last verse. So I'm going to talk to two groups of people as we get ready to close. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're watching this months or years later. Who knows? But you really hadn't made the commitment to be a believer, to follow Jesus you're still trying to do life your way. You like church. You might be in church. And if you had never heard me say it, I sat in this very church for 10 years on the back row before I made that decision to fully go what I called all in and surrender all. Not most, not a lot, all. So if that's you, I would just love to lead you in a simple prayer. And it's not about the words of the prayer. It's more about what you're feeling right now. God has spoken to some of you, I believe, that today is the day of your salvation and not to leave here without it. And then you will have God's peace that he just promised us. And I'll lead us in a prayer. We're all going to bow our heads in a second, but the words are going to be more something like this. But you just say whatever you're feeling. You can do it out loud, under your breath, quietly. You can think it. God is God. He knows your thoughts like Jesus knew their thoughts. You're just going to say or think something like this. God, I know you love me. And today, I want to surrender all. I want to commit to following you. 
and I believe you died for me personally on that cross, and I just want to obey you. So we're going to pray a prayer something like that. So let's all bow our heads, and I'm going to pray. And if this is you, just kind of in your mind or out loud, repeat after me. Jesus, I believe you died for me on that cross, and I love you. And today I make the commitment to put my life in your hands, to surrender my will to yours, and to follow you. From this day forward, Holy Spirit, help me to obey the commands of the Lord. Help me to follow Jesus the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.